like you said, alcohol is is so much worse than yeah than cannabis, and they should not be uh, promoting that, especially when they don't really even understand at a at a decent level between the two. Or if they no, do, it, they're it, so it really ignorant, ignorant about it. Exactly. Yeah. That's yep. what it comes down to. But and, and but for and from the standpoint though, but from a federal standpoint, is that because it is a Schedule One substance, their hands are tied from yeah. providing the appropriate funding to study it. And it's for me as a veteran, and as I continue to see other, as I see issues with the DUIs and everything, and not only that, I'll tell you this: not even only from military standpoint, but from all around, from the people civilians and everyone alike uh if given a better i think it would be be given a better option and and with cannabis being that you can eat it or you know get a honey stick and put it in your tea and it it it, it doesn't have to be taking so much that you have some euphoric experience right it's a, it can be used like a medicine to calm your yeah. nerves and, and feel better. Um, and believe me, I love partying with, uh, you know, my friends and hanging out and we love to just smoke and, and hang out and be relaxed and everything else and not drink any crazy because when we were drinking, it was crazy. And, uh, right. it's ironic. You, know, you talk about that with the, the withdrawals. Uh, I had a, a friend, a non-military civilian, um, uh, here where I live, where we moved in across the street, nice, super nice guy, uh, a real bad alcohol problem. And he went, took a trip to Florida and on his way back that morning, his withdrawal symptoms were so bad that, um, uh, the girl, his girlfriend at the time had to pull over and they had, he had to drink vodka straight from the bottle because he was, they were driving home and he was getting sick out the window shaking chills he was he was dying i mean it's yep. really what it comes down he was dying and it was very scary um and uh he's done better he, he's gotten better himself but uh it, there's just too many stories that that involve alcohol in some way that i never heard you know you never hear a good story really <laughs> It's always, no, it's don't. always something negative, you know, and it's just excessive consumption. And, and some people have addictive personalities and just, they can't stop it. And they do need that help. Like for instance, it was last year, just no. Yeah. Early last year, there was a staff sergeant uh, promotion ceremony and I'm still on the the thread for the uh, events and everything. And, and they said, um, I still have the screenshot of it actually. And they said, well, we got, uh, 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 a comment back saying that they didn't get enough participation for this upcoming staff sergeant uh, promotion ceremony. They're going to change venues. They want to have it over at the Jimmy Doolittle Center, um, and they're going to have the, the bar open. And it was because they didn't have the numbers that they wanted, and they knew and they know that putting out there saying there's an open bar, that will yeah. get people going to go to these events. And it just... I'm sitting here, staff sergeant, they're still on the younger end, you know, and, yeah. but why do you need an open bar? Um, yeah. People will go if they go, if they don't, they don't. And, you know, and if I anything, think, just make it 
<laughs> it is. And that's a culture thing, you know, again, where they talk yeah. about it, yeah. they buy the kegs, the commander buys a keg or whatever the case may be. But to, I mean, to say that I wouldn't say to completely eliminate alcohol from those events, but to make them available for purchase or whatever, that would be fine. Because yeah, that way, if a guy wants yeah, to have a beer, or if the guy's supervisor wants to buy him a beer, here you go, man, congratulations. That's fine. But I right. do remember those. Yeah. I mean, we walked into the. I I remember walking into those events, and they were like, "There's a keg in each corner of the room," and literally, you just drank until you floated them. It was yeah, it was, um, it, was a wild, it was wild time. <laughs> Usually, you hear about somebody getting in trouble the night after. Right. And I think that's that's the perspective. And I don't talk a lot about it, but um, when I get into the details in like this book that I'm trying to write and this project that I'm sending to the DOD, it's uh, talking about make it more of a personal choice. So like I had put in there, if they want to drink, that needs to come out of pocket. It should not be something that's covered where a commander can throw down five grand and say, okay, it's you know a free-for-all. Um, make it so that they actually have to purchase it and uh, uh, stop reducing I, the prices on base. Yeah, and that, but I no, know. no, I've, I think I think that's a great idea. It's something I never even even considered is that you know it's you know. It, 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 you got, like you said, you know, just make it pretty, not had just, like I said, I walked into a, we walked into the enlisted club and there's a keg in each corner of the room. That's four kegs. Um, that's a lot of beer. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. uh, to maybe do that. Yeah. You could cut down, but then again, here's what they're going to see attendance. Oh, it's not free. I'm not going. Right. And then they're just, they're just going to have to do <laughs> my, yeah. my, my, my response would be all right. Yeah. Attendance oh, well. is low. Oh, well, yeah. you, just like you can't force people to go to the chaplain. You can't force people to go to mental. Well, I mean, at certain points they can, but you know yes. what I mean? It, you then you shouldn't be allowed to force them to go to that, especially when when I've talked to veterans and even active duty who say, you know, I'm I'm on this road toward recovery right now. I, I want to live a life of sobriety. And they say, but it is so hard to do that when my workplace is all about alcohol. And I think it's it's putting airmen and, and people into high risk situations where, like you had mentioned, you may not know someone's actually struggling with alcoholism. They may mm -hmm. not know at all because they hide yeah. it well. But internally, when they go to these, they think, I'm tempted. I feel, you know, I, I don't want to do this or I don't want to be here because I'm not comfortable, you know, because they're working so hard to, to get away from it. But it's to me, it's like, just make it more of a personal choice and try to disconnect it from the workplace. So like with social hours, okay. The AFI says they can have 10 hours a week for social hours. Okay. Mm -hmm make those in the evening from like five to seven and go utilize and give the base bar business or give another bar establishment, um, the business, but to, if there's no place where they can get away from it, if it's at their work where they spend the majority of their time and they go home, which they, they have their right and their choice to have alcohol at home. But again, make it more so that someone can actually make that decision for themselves versus um, feeling pressured. Um, yeah. Because yeah. it, it is pressure. I mean, and people can say, well, we don't sit them and sit them down and force them to drink it. Well, of course not. But you're still pressuring no. in the sense that it's, 
Um, it's a part of it's it's uh, yeah that you know just because you you're not forcing the alcohol down someone's throat doesn't mean that you know the mental emotional pressure that someone may be feeling while they're hanging out in a group in a situation like that that they're feeling it's just That's like you know yeah, I mean, it's, you know, everybody say, well, everybody else is doing it kind of thing. That's pretty much how I started smoking cigarettes. Well, all the other guys are doing it. I guess the mom's well, too, you know, so not a good thing, but I'm doing, trying to squit. <laughs> right, right. No, I'm... I would, when it comes to those programs and stuff, they really should, you know, hopefully make that, that I think that's a good I think that's a good choice. I don't think commanders and it and, and God bless every one of my commanders that you never know, bought me a drink and stuff because uh I appreciated it and it, you know what it was they were paying and that, that's the thing is it's it's also the it's the gesture. It's it, you know it's yeah. the gesture of the buying of the drink and you know thanking your people for their work but it just, I think it, we, we did it in excess right. and, uh, you know, granted there's a time and place for that, but I think we did it very far too often. Uh, right. because again, it's, it's what's acceptable. I mean, we got a whole, you got a whole store on base dedicated to it. So <laughs> I mean, and there are, let me think here. One, two, at least four places at Minot Air Force Base where they can get alcohol. Uh, this is a base that doesn't have it in the commissary quite yet. But like I said, behind closed doors, even though they they banned the alcohol from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., mm -hmm. they're still looking to increase the amount of commissaries that sell it now. So you've got the exchange, you've got the, uh, the shop at, you've got the Jimmy Doolittle Center, you've got... Um, and then you have the bars in the workplace and then home. Mm -hmm. So really there's five different places. There's not really a, Oh, you can go ever. I mean, yeah, you go to your bowling alley. You can go to the, uh, the bowling alley snack shop. Oh, yeah. You can go to classic shop at anywhere you want to go. There is yeah. alcohol available. And again, from the standpoint of a, a person who just can handle just a, a drink of beer or a, a glass of wine or something like that, you know, that's cool. Right. And I, I actually haven't checked. I'd have to call over because I, I actually have no idea if the bowling alley out at the base has alcohol. I, honestly, I, I have they no should, idea. They should still. I mean, at the, I, uh, I mean, that was okay. uh, at the, unless that, unless that's a change after I got out of the military. Um, okay. Well, more than had, likely it's not a change. Then. Yeah. The bowling alley plus the bowling alley snack bar. Uh, you can get a pitcher of beer. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, you're probably right. No, they did. Yeah. You know, when I was in, they stopped the smoking. Now that when I first came in, you could smoke in base clubs and you could smoke in the bowling alley. And all, of course, you know, that all went to the whole smoke free right. environments and stuff like that. But uh, no, the alcohol shit, as far as I know, is still there. And the last time I, uh, you know, been, you know, went to a base a few years ago, as far as I know, okay. it's still prevalent. Okay. Yeah. You're. I mean, you're. You're probably right. They. Again, it's. It's, it's a money factor. Yeah. Um, yep. 
services has to has to they have to make so, their profit and that's the way to do it and and this is this kind of ties into that a little bit too because when you well and i can only speak for north dakota but north dakota state law and with local laws as well is that you know no establishment is supposed to be selling past 2 a.m and so the air force or the I guess the military being its own entity, basically, they can basically bypass these state laws yes. because uh, people and a lot of people don't know that they don't know that they're that this violates state law. I'm like, well, yeah, if you look into it, uh, yeah, past 2 a.m., you're not supposed to be selling it. No one should be purchasing it. But the Minot Air Force Base and not just this base, many other bases, too, let's be honest. They have been selling it 24-7 at mm -hmm. um, shops that, that are open 24-7. And, um, well, and again, that's, and it's that's, just, that's federal property. That's, you yeah. know, you're talking, you're talking between your state and federal governments, which is, isn't it ironic that, that they won't abide by state law when it comes to alcohol sales? And you can go ahead and just get alcohol whenever you want. Yeah. But you can't buy cannabis is the the evil one but yeah I, I i know what you're talking about with the they don't have to there is it's a total different jurisdiction yeah and, and i don't uh i think there's way too much power there i'd be impressed to see what 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 can help it change and you know right. it you know again back to the facebook thing and the comments and people make it it, it really does come down to just blatant ignorance i mean it's yeah. it's like you know it's almost it's the, the the ignorance is it's almost like you know like why you're why are you bothered by that person like i don't know it's because it's they're this or they're that like you don't even know that person you know right and it, you gotta you have to take time to educate yourself and understand why it is you feel that way, you know, right. and that's when that comments were flying and they're like, I'm like, God, I wish these guys would just, just, just hear me. I'm not just making yeah. silly comments, being a, the, the silly veteran pothead guy that they're like, Oh yeah, you're this, you know, you're the pothead. It's not spoken like a true stoner, this, that, and everything. I'm just like, right. I really, I mean, as I wrote that, and again, I, I make some good jokes. I do. I think I'm quite funny sometimes. But as I was messing, when I was doing, when I was messaging that, I was just like, man, these guys, they just don't get it. They they it, really don't get it. It's because they've been conditioned. And I, um, when someone has been conditioned for that long and around that culture, like you said, because it, it's so embedded, uh, they can't, they can't think outside of that because to them it's it's not it's so far from reality and that's what's really sad is and, and i've been very straightforward and to the point where i said this is basically like brainwashing people to to believe this to think that they that alcohol is is okay for them just because it's illegal or because you know it's like it is it is a level of brainwashing and i um don't hold back talking about that because i truly believe that um the alcohol culture is is in the military is a scandal to an extent because 
the string of addictions that come out of the military to me seems like it has been strategically and systematically manufactured and mm. no one blinks an eye because well it's it's the military and who's going to you know tell them how well to and yeah it's, you know it's don't it's don't deny scary. our heroes this don't you know don't yeah they're you know they fight for us you shouldn't take things from them and everything like that but right again looking back uh i know if I if I would have had access to cannabis when I was serving, which would have been really awesome, um, I would have managed a lot of situations more differently. Um, right. From arguments, because again, it's, I'm, I've been married. This is my third time being married, um, and uh, we've been we're, we're 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 very happy. And alcohol is not a part of our lives anymore. We drink occasionally, you know, we'll sure. have a beer or two or whatever. Nothing nothing real heavy because. Uh, hangovers suck but right. <laughs> um right. but alcohol uh you know my previous marriages and the troubles that i had and and then sometimes dealing with the depression and anxiety how i chose to just go get a case of beer a case of beer and drink it all myself that night um i could kill a 20 i could kill a case of beer no problem and uh and then i'd be asleep but then there were times where it's loud music, anger, crying, you know, uh, and then maybe if there was, if I was with somebody, it was fighting. Uh, and, but it was something I always, it was the only thing other than one of the programs. But when you're at home, it was the only thing you could turn to. It was the only thing you could go grab that bottle of Jim Bean or you could grab the, you know, get the can of beer or whatever you wanted to do. And there it was. And, you know, and they're like, oh, well, maybe you needed outlets. Uh, I played soccer probably five, six days a week in San Antonio. And I still drank. Don't tell me I need an outlet because I, I had an outlet. I was playing soccer nonstop and working on base and everything else. So right. I had outlets. But I still chose to drink because it was the only other way of medicating that I had besides after a while they started I started to have to take uh essentially an antidepressant uh in around twenty thirteen or so is when I started getting on and they put me on that uh cetraline, I mean, what it is. And uh yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, and so but I'm uh Besides the medication, I mean, that, that's literally, that, those are your two options. I guess you could call them three options in the military. You can um, drink responsibly, do medication, and take, get some nice medication from the uh, mental health folks, um, or go to one of the programs that don't really help, and they just talk your ear off. Yeah. Yep. So, but so are you, I mean, if, I mean, I, I with everything, I mean, you, do you feel like that you that you can do something? I mean, that's the main reason I'm talking to you now is because yeah. I have never had a chance to actually talk to somebody and tell somebody, say, hey, look, I know of so many deaths. I know of so many DUIs and broken marriages and, and abused children. And every single one has a tagline of alcohol. 
Yeah. Every single one. I, it, it, and it's, it's, it's my whole 20 year career, you know, um, is in it. And I would like to see some change and it would be nice to people get smart about it. But I mean, do you feel that you can, I I mean, you're doing the right things. You're being loud about it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm, I feel encouraged. I, um, sorry, that whole, um, last few things that you were talking about just really hit hard because, um, uh, that's, that's really the backbone to why I'm doing all of this because, um, I've worked with a lot of military kids and some of the comments that kids say, kids have no filter. They mm-hmm. tell you yeah. what happens at home and it is heartbreaking. Well, yeah, my, my daddy comes home and he drinks. My dad tells me, shoves me to my room to go play video games. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's, there's a reason why there's a lot of dysfunction and I don't mean this in a disrespectful manner, but there is a lot of dysfunction within military families. And, uh, like you, you, you hit, hit it right on the nail with, you know, the number of divorces and domestic, domestic abuse that goes on and, and, um, negligence towards children. And, uh, I, I'm doing this because of that and um, trying to advocate for former or even current military spouses that have abusive um, spouses who aren't heard because a lot of them do go forward and, 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 and seek help and they're kind of dismissed because you're, you're just a spouse and um, or, um, or for the service members that do seek help and they're treated poorly. It's, just the, I wish I could publicize every story that I've had through email or getting phone calls, because if the DOD could hear all these stories and not feel just a straight punch to the heart and not have that moment of realization thinking, wow, we have been a bunch of idiots over here. Like, what are we doing? Like, we're, we're part of the the problem that's causing yeah. all these issues. Um. It is going to be an uphill battle, Um, but I still feel confident enough to keep taking it to whatever level I can. I've been reaching anybody that's in media production. I have a veteran named Sean Page here in Minot that he's finishing up his degree, and he said, I will work with you to try and get like a documentary going, Uh, because what's one thing that we don't have a huge like a movie or a, a series about is military suicide. We mm-hmm. have all these documentaries and and cool films about, you know, previous wars and um, but we don't have anything that's truly out there for the mass to see the devastation that military suicide um has become. They would much rather keep that quiet. They that, would, absolutely. They would much rather keep it quiet and not say anything. And, uh, yeah. And that's the way it's been. I I mean, my career and even now it's, 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 it's a blemish. And unfortunately it's just a blemish. It's a blemish that they do need to face head on, um, and just accept it and, and, and make it known. 
you know, when these things right. happen and, and let people know, um, because, you know, I, I, my, my, my family, we were, you know, a lot of veterans and stuff in my family and whatnot, but other than the people that I've experienced these with, um, you know, these experiences and those who were close to it and have experienced those, you know, the things together, um, those are the ones who know, those are the ones who, you know, like I said, it happens, it's memorialized and we move on. And yet when you stop, when I stop and think, and I start thinking about all the individuals and all the memorials and all the, it's significant and that, and I'm just one, one person. And I know it happens everywhere in our, in our military. And uh, it's ironic that I was thinking the same thing is that I was just yesterday. I was thinking is that I know that they wouldn't want all of everyone to see this, right. but it's impro it's a pro I think it would, it would help with the uh, public's understanding and compassion too, for the military to see that they are struggling. They're not just a bunch of, you know, strong Rambo guys just charging the front line day in and day out and were invulnerable to pain. Right. They're, they're human. Yeah. Um, and if I think if they were able to be more publicly open about it and embrace it, there would be more compassion, more understanding, and maybe even service members would see that and everybody in general, maybe that could even be part of the change, but it's right. It, it, hiding it, you know, just saying that we memorialized it. We still, again, when I brought this up before and do a stand down day and everything else, it's, it's just not enough because it's, no, it's easily done and forgotten. And most of the people don't even want to do the stand down day. I do not want to sit in a PowerPoint meeting for four hours of my workday. I'd rather go, do PT for four hours. Right. Let's have a, uh, a stand down day at the track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And airmen said, you know, <clears throat> well, multiple have said, well, the training we get here at Minot is the same one we've had for over two years. And it's a 20, mm -hmm. 20 minute PowerPoint. Yeah. And, and so I had a, a meeting with one of the um, wing commanders, a group commander, sorry, group commander, um, a chaplain and then a rep from true North. And I was trying to talk about doing something like peer support, you know, get airmen certified to tell their stories. Cause there are success stories. There are recovery stories out there. And if we would, like you said, publicize that and make it feel more natural and normal to talk about struggling. And so what better way than to have a modernized, uh, prevention pro program that include faces of our own airmen yeah. telling their story, going around and speaking to people instead of, like you said, throwing them in front of a PowerPoint that no one wants to watch and doesn't take very seriously anyway, because, and the reason, so when I heard that at first, I was like, wow, that seems kind of, kind of harsh that no one would take it seriously. But then the more that I would talk about it, I realized they, it's not that they don't take it seriously, it's that they have become so desensitized because it happens so often that they're like, what's the point of doing this when I know we're going to lose how many more people yet? And so 
uh, I think it's because it happens so often and it's frequent that they just become desensitized to what they hear and what, what they're um, presented yeah. with. Yeah. And the fact that it, it, it gets uh, treated that way, I feel like it's easily forgotten. You know, yeah. um, it, yeah, six, I mean, the success stories would be great as long as, again, you know, it's like the stigmata of going to mental health. You know, people feel it's going to impact their career or whatever else. But if they could embrace that, embrace the people that have made changes and say, hey, I want to come forward and tell my story. And, right. you know, embrace and lift those people up as, you know, because, if, you know, in the military, you know, how the military is, you feel like you come forward with any type of mental health issue or I'm upset, I'm depressed, I'm, I'm this or that it could be detrimental to your career getting an, another uh, duty position, special duty job assignment or something like that. Um, yep. Though I know that that has gone away quite a bit. Um, um, but I still feel like that, that stigma is still in people's heads as it was oh, in mine. Yep. You know, so I didn't actually seek, um, I didn't actually seek mental health. Uh, I, I had gone to mental health several times, but I did not actually go out and seek mental health. Uh, okay help until my last two years of my uh uh my service uh 18 years in and one thing i realized was i should have been here a hell of a lot earlier right yep yep and i think there needs to be some protections in place where airmen uh and i know i say airmen a lot i i, I don't want to just completely oh, I know it, you, yeah. for, for air force but across the board in the organization that service members uh, can go to mental health with protections in place knowing hey this isn't going to hurt my career if we can get something that says don't worry about your job our priority is to get you help and they know they have something to fall back on because right now they don't feel like they have that they have well, I'm taking kind of a hit here. It's 50-50. Either this is going to go in my favor or this is going to go all downhill. Well, and, and, and with certain career fields, they dig pretty deep, though. That's the that's the other issue you run into when you look into special uh, special operations uh, guys, uh, aerial gunners, those types of guys that do the special missions. They dig pretty deep into uh, files. I had a friend who he he became an aerial gunner. Uh, he, he commissioned and retired. Um, but he, he got seen for, uh, depression or something at one point in time in his career. And he had to really jump through some hoops to get accepted into the aerial gunner program just because he sought out help. Yep. Yeah. That's unfortunate. There was a... Um, an article from Task and Purpose. I bring them up a lot, but they really do have a lot of great articles out there um, that are have even been focused on the Minot Air Force Base. But they talked about that same exact thing where he said, I had a friend that did the right thing, like they're told to do and encouraged to do and sought help. And then two years later, when, when life is great, things are back on track. He's doing... Uh, you know, life is good. Um, and he's moved past all of the hardships that he was going through. He was denied this job because of the same thing. Well, oh, we saw you went to mental health. What was that all about? You know, or, and that should not be, that, that should not, that's not fair. 
Especially it, it, you're absolutely right. It's not fair. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell you another reason why it's not fair is because I know I've had friends in uh, the special forces, special operators and stuff. They have chaplains assigned to them. They have mental health people assigned to them because those guys need to talk. So to deny somebody entrance into one of those career fields because they seek treatment before they're in the career field is wrong. Yep. I agree. And then they, they, they still want to say, well, no, nothing's going to hurt your, that's a bunch of malarkey. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, and, and it's easy for people up higher up. And this is what I hear all the time from veterans and active duty is, you know, leadership say, you know, they look at us like, what is your problem? Why do you have all these issues? Well, when you're in the leadership position, you're paid more money. You don't have the same um, hardships or, um, you know, their job is so different. They're not really behind the scenes and on the front lines, like, like you brought up, you know, going out to the field, they're the ones, you know, doing the hands-on work. Like you don't have those same thing problems that we do. And so it's like their perspective and their experience is just so different. It's hard for them to like, well, yeah, you can't relate to us because one, we're different ranks well, and we and, do different and, jobs. But yeah, yeah and see, that's one of, the, one of the standpoints from the officers, you know, from the officer standpoints that, the, you know, some of them are very educated right? and, and they've all went to school and they've, they've had their professional education. But as enlisted, you know, some of the guys come in and they start with their, obviously, their military education and learning their job. But then they're expected to also go to college and do their continued professional military education on top of taking care of a family, maintaining their job, um, PT and volunteerism um, so that they can get promoted. And yep. I mean, I don't know if I missed anything there, but the the commander, he's got his, you know, at minimum bachelor's degree, probably a master's most likely. Um, but the, the thing too, that is impressive with our, with our air force and, and probably a lot of our other services too. Um, there are a lot of enlisted now those education levels exceed that yeah. of their officer, you know, their, their commanders and, and so forth and so on. I'm talking, uh, there was a chaplain assistant, a uh, chaplain assistant chief who, uh, while serving, he had a PhD and that's the type. And like you said, they don't experience, but that man had to sacrifice so much time because he became a chief. So again, with all the time, you have to sacrifice with that. And they don't understand because they don't understand the commitment it takes as an enlisted member. And when things get rough, hey, yep. I'm going to go get, get a drink, you know, sleep this off or whatever. And, you know, in, in, in a lot of situations, most guys are pretty responsible, I would say. But one mistake, it's all it takes. One right. mistake, uh, drinking too much, and, and it's done. Yep. I know the Air Force, I believe last year, I'm going to have to, don't quote me on that. I might have to double check on that. But they changed the um, the consequences or the punishment. So uh, it used to be you would hear people getting two or three DUIs before they finally got kicked out. Um, they changed it where now it's one and done. Oh, and um, at first I was like, hey, like, that's a step in the right direction. I thought it was a good idea. 
And then I kept hearing, once I started talking more to airmen and talking about how there's a double standard where someone higher up gets a DUI, they get a slap on the wrist, they get to keep their rank, they keep all their responsibilities. But then when a young airman gets a DUI, they get the hammer put down on them. And so I was thinking, okay, maybe the one and done isn't necessarily the way to go because it doesn't allow that airman a chance to redeem themselves, a chance to get that help and to um, get their life back on track. And so, uh, but it's, it's the, that same thing where rank continues to be a protection for so many people. And it's not fair. If you have one rule, the rule needs to ab um, be abided by across the board, regardless of your rank. Um, it, but yeah, it, it just, it, sorry, they just kind of reminded me of that a little bit because no, it's, you're, you know, no, they you're don't absolutely understand right. consequences because if you're an officer or a chief and you get a DUI and you just, you get the hall pass, you're not going to understand the hardships of getting help and seek and going through uh, the consequences that a younger airman's going to, because while well, you're younger, you should have known better. Yeah. No, it's you're older, you're higher ranked. You should have known better. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it, I, would, I would hope that for the most part that that doesn't take place. But again, you know, I've been retired for some time now. And um, as far as I, I was never witnessed, I never witnessed anything uh, like with leadership. I mean, I've seen leadership removed at other locations and whatever, you know, personal issues, but right. I never personally heard of Oh, did you hear, you know, major so-and-so got, you know, pulled over, but they let him go. Never heard anything like that personally. So, but not to say it doesn't happen. Right. I don't. Yeah. But I never heard it. And I never, I do. I, I, you know, I know that there were probably some type of preferential treatment given, but you know, for an airman, an airman's a, an easy one to go because they're always yep. new ones coming in and it's low viz. You know, when you talk about a chief or a, a squadron group wing commander, obviously, uh, you're talking that high visibility and, and that looks a little bit, you know, it, it taints the vision a little bit. So are they, it's like, Oh gosh, look what they can't even, their leadership is garbage too. But right. if it's an airman, you know, that's an easy kill, you know, it's just a boom, yes. have a nice day. But the, the, the one mistake thing again, when you look at my situation, I admitted that I had a half a beer while watching a Bulls game while something was going on in the dorms that I wasn't aware of. And right. I got busted just like that. If it would have been a one and done, I would have been gone and I wouldn't even finished out a 20 year career. And I feel that right. I made uh, some positive impacts in people's lives. Cause that was all that I was really, you know, I wanted to, you know, you want to make a difference. You want to do something good. And I know that I right. helped some people, but if they've been one and done me, I don't know where I would be now. I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. I don't know where I would be <laughs> Right. Be starting all over right. again. It's good to give somebody a second. I, I, I'm a, I'm a big second chance kind of guy. I, I have always yep. been, um, mistakes happen and we, and mistakes are there for us to learn. And I believe right. that. And I've all, I believe that when I was in the military as a supervisor, I was never the supervisor to come down hard first, just, Oh, you're, you're you did this in lor article 15 i let me see what other paperwork yeah. i can throw at you you know yeah but i've always I, i've always been the type of supervisor to uh i want to talk i want to see what's going on did you screw up yeah 
all right, well, you know, this is your past, you know, you know, we talk about it, get it done and, okay. and, and move forward. But it, I don't believe in one mistake, one mistake. Yeah. That's, that's pretty right. harsh. You know, I mean, we yeah. all make mistakes. I mean, let the, the, the perfect person stand up because nah, yeah, it, it ain't me. <laughs> what, what bothered me about that too, is that when you look at the consequences and the punishments, it's always to the airmen. It's not, what can we change in our culture that's putting airmen in these situations in the first place? It's yeah. always come down on the person instead of them actually making major changes to their policies or the way that they do things. Um, and so when you're talking about, you know, whether I can see changes or not, I don't know. I'm, I have that personality where something doesn't sound right to me, something, you know, and I start digging into things and I'm seeing how in a, in a sense corrupt things are. If I'm, I'm going to continue to do this, whether I have the support from the base or not. And it's like, well, you're not going to listen to me on this end. Well, if I run for office, you're going to hear more <laughs> of me talk yeah. about it. You are going to hear about it. Mm -hmm. Say, you know, at what level are you going to listen? Are you going to listen to a state representative? Are you going to listen to a senator? Are you going to listen to, you know, who are you going to listen to? Uh, because right yeah. now I'm just kind of that, you know, well, this nobody just appeared out of nowhere and did a demonstration and is advocating for mental health and suicide prevention. Um, so a lot of people, you know, I it's hard starting out I, but it is it is a, i think it's a good plan. choice because if you when you, if you are if you're in that position if you're in when you if you're able to make that decision and to possibly make that change i mean that's a good way to do it is through politics because if you're gonna it's gonna take something more powerful right. than the single voices of the coordinators and the people on base and the programs they've been doing for years that don't work because like you said before, it doesn't address the root problem at all. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, to be, I mean, I think that would be a great choice and it, that's what it's going to take because, you know, honestly, that's about the only people they're going to listen to, honestly, at that point, I mean, especially being the higher, you know, the, the senior leadership they're going to listen to someone right. and do an elected official as opposed to the the lady that was mm -hmm. hired to manage their program on base, you know, that, right. and I don't care if she's a doctor. We don't care about that. We just, is she military? Well, Does she, is she an elected official? We don't care. So, right. yeah. And I think from that standpoint, yeah, you, you would be in a much better position to make a positive change. Right. And I had to laugh because I kept thinking, you know, <laughs> that, uh, Thorn in the side, Lisa Hermosillo in my not, you know, it's, I've already experienced, you know, being kind of shunned, you know, public affairs, they could care less about me. They don't respond to any of my emails. I continue to email anyway, because as a citizen, I have the right to do that. And I encourage, I, on any chance I get, I encourage veterans that I talked to said, you know, you have a voice too. like consider running for office too, because they're going to, you have more, I don't, credibility or um, more substance being a veteran than someone like me who right, right. has zero experience. I, you know, 
people just, some people look at me like I'm just pulling things out of thin air, you know, where, when it comes to caring from veterans, I would hope people would hopefully take that more seriously too. So I encourage everyone, um, to run or to contact. I couldn't, I couldn't do it myself because I would, I mean, I know for a fact I would lose my cool on some of those folks on the floor. I would be, I would be the, I would be the next rep. They bounce out because they like, all right, we've had enough of Matt's fighting. Like the, oh yeah, there's, it's frustrating. I, yeah, politics. I, I, I follow politics. I do my, I am all about it, all about it and everything else. But I also know that I would not be a good and elected official because I would get so mad at ignorant people that I would just. Well, but don't let the, don't let that stop you though, too, because that's, that's almost kind of what we need. I mean, if you look at it, when I was growing up, I looked at politicians and attorneys and, you know, presidents as people who were, you know, your top notch professional, best of the best. And look at where we're, we're at now as a society. We have people in um, these pre- prestigious positions acting very, very childish. Oh. It's, it's, it's so if you're worried about speaking passionately about what you feel, I mean, take a look at what we have now. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Oh, but you um, know, you know, the thing is, you know, if I if I ran for politics too, that's the thing. You know, they 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 dig so deep now. They're like, oh my god, he got an article fifteen for underage drinking. Oh, you, but, you he's a horrible person. <laughs> but you know what? I want to change that though. I was nervous about uh, doing my demonstration and 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 looking at even considering running for office because um, of that same thing. You know, oh well. You know, she was married twice. She gave up a baby back in 2010. She had to quit college because she got pregnant uh, or look into my uh, my history. And I want to change that because some of the people who have struggled and have had some of the most horrendous things happen to them are without a doubt, some of the most loving, caring. They would jump in front of a bull for you they would take they take care of people they care about people and we need people who say you know what i'm not perfect i've struggled mm-hmm. but look where i took myself in my life look um at what i've overcome and so that's why i was so huge on on peer support because it's like gosh i want to hear these stories i want to hear uh what you've been through because that's that's bravery in itself to and so yeah I, I, Josh Boucher, I was saying his last name wrong, but it's Boucher. <laughs> um, uh, he was saying that, you know, so many times people back in the day, even maybe 10, 20 years ago, people always looked at that resume like, oh, well, you don't have a master's degree. You didn't you didn't get a degree in, in pol- political science or, or communications and said, but that doesn't matter. That shouldn't stop anyone from, uh, you know. Yeah, from stopping. Yeah, because, you know, we need different perspectives and technically who represents our country, it they should be not just because of money, it should be our average American citizens, because we're the ones that that experience a lot of those hardships and mm-hmm. they're going to really work for the people because they know and they've seen enough. Yeah, and, 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 you know, <laughs> and, and, and talking with you, too, I've only I've only 
like I only I only brought up a, a few things, you know, a, a few situations that I experienced when I was in there right. because uh, other than when you stop and when I stop and think about it, it's a lot. It, it is a, it's a significant number of uh, of situations. Um, it's it needs it, and I I hope that people can kind of open their eyes to it and maybe find a way to change it. Um, I haven't, like I said, you're the first person I've, you know, I kind of really talk, I talk to people about it, you know, kind of here and there or whatever, but kind of talk to it in length. And uh, I mean, my main reason for when you contacted me was basically, I was like, well, I don't know, maybe I can help this way, you know, by sharing my stories and, and something because those guys, their, their comments and their, their ignorance was very prevalent to me. And, uh, I was just like, I, I, I and I wouldn't even, I wasn't even mad at, I wasn't mad. I just wanted them. I was just like, man, I hope they see, I hope they see how bad this is yeah. because it's, it's not, it's not a joke and right. it needs to be treated differently. Yep. I mean, I, I want to tell you that, you know, your hardships and your story, you know, I encourage everyone, you should start your own podcast too. start. <laughs> um, just, there are so many airmen that um, I was able to connect an airman with a veteran. And I'll tell you, sorry, I'm going to try not to tear up, but <laughs> um, veterans getting that opportunity to, tear, to, to tell their story. Um, and it doesn't matter the age of the airman, but to see them connect and know that that airman had someone out in the community that they could talk to. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It gets me. Um, you have the ability to help people without even knowing it. I mean, even just you sharing your story here and me being able to, to edit all of this and put it together for an episode, um, there are a lot of airmen who listen to the podcast or know about my efforts. And I am huge about um, extending um, knowledge of, of veterans and people that I know who could be someone, someone could contact or talk to or just look up to. Um, don't don't uh, um, underestimate the power that you do have and the changes that you can make because I, I've seen it. Yeah, and, <laughs> I, I hope. I, I mean, I do. I, I person, but like, um, I hope they. I hope that you know, that. they they you know that if you know those who who would listen and hear it, and you know, there's nothing wrong with alcohol. I mean, I'm not saying that, right. but recognizing the dangers and being responsible and again, taking care of each other and not just throwing our hands up and forgetting about it and just saying, oh, there's another, you know, another victim of the devil there or whatever you want to call it, you know, and just yep. and actually do something about it. But it, it's not worth a career. It's not make, you know, to make those, to, to make those mistakes. It's not worth you losing your family, your happiness, your job, your respect all those things and 
you know, especially not your life. Um, right. And that's, you know, I, I, I hope that, like I said, as a, as a chaplain's assistant, you know, I, I literally went from a career field that got drunk, got wild and fought to a career field that <laughs> reached out and tried to help people. You know, it's kind of ironic, a total. And, and the reason I reached out is I got hurt uh, shortly after 9-11. Uh, hurt my back. So I had to retrain medically and, and that was the job they gave me ironically. Um, okay. Yeah. And so again, uh, from that standpoint though, I, 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 I experienced it from both ends. I was, I was, I was the drinker and the fighter and I was very fortunate throughout my career with some of the decisions that I made that I got 20 years. And that's, that's, that's the honest to God fact. Wow. I was going to ask how that transition happened. Um, and so you just, you answered that, um, that question. Yeah. But, yeah. That's how that transition happened. <laughs> okay. 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 Cause the reason why I ask is because I had, um, followed up with, some of the news networks that did a did, did report on this with me being out on the bridge and they contacted the base asking for you know hey um you said it was under investigation you know is there any follow-up on that or update and um they're saying that it's still under investigation so it's been almost almost three months two and a half mm. months now i guess it, i guess it and depends so, upon the situation too you know i mean in, right. in how they process the evidence and and sometimes toxic they say sometimes the toxicology reports uh um can take up to six months for them oh, to okay. come back. And yeah, because uh when um and I don't know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um and I did I didn't know this, but they take the fluid from the eye and that's how they test it. And it could take up to six months to get these this full oh, wow. toxicology oh. report. Yeah. So when there's an yeah. autopsy, they take fluid from the eye. And then that's what's processed for the toxicology to show any type of substances, substances. And wow. the reason I know okay. this is because uh, two years ago, um, my son's mother, my first wife, she committed suicide. And uh, uh, that's we had to wait till that came back. And that's how I knew. I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Yeah. It, it, yeah, I know. And, and, and my wife now she knows too and i i still wish that she would have maintained better contact with me i would have I, my wife knows now i would have i would have helped her i would have reached out to her she would have reached out to me instead right. uh, you know we get the phone call and uh she uh alcohol and sleeping pills and and she and that was it so yeah it was, wow. uh, it, was it was a rough one to swallow but you know even though i mean sure she's my ex-wife but she's the mother of my son who's going to be 25 this well, year yeah. and uh now there's no chance of a relationship there's no chance of anything that they they could have had and you know it was, a, it was another marriage she was another marriage another child and i guess things were rough they were living in new mexico uh and uh yeah just got the call and they were like and my son told me he's like yeah he's like uh, she committed suicide, sleeping pills and alcohol. 
But had she, again, okay. she would have reached out to me. I would have, I would have helped her. Right. So this really hits very personal to you then as well, not just on a professional level and um, your time in the service, but wow. Yeah. yeah. Just as recently. Yeah. My, uh, yeah. So it's just, yeah, my son no longer can, can, it's a selfish thing. And I, and, and I guess and it upsets me because I, I, well, we wish we could have helped her, but it's not a thing. It's mean, took out that opportunity to have a relationship and, you know, ex experience things with her son. And, and uh, I guess she really felt trapped. Like she couldn't reach out, but she would have known wow. I was here the whole time, even though it'd been 20 years, you know, I would have been, I would have, I would have been there for her because that's, it was definitely not something that neither I or my son wanted to see happen. Right. Well, you're an amazing person to, to share that and to say that you would have helped. I mean, that's, that speaks a lot about you and um, I'll be praying for you guys. I mean, I, I didn't realize that was going to come from my last question. And so I'm, I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. But That's I, no problem. I'm, very, I'm, I'm very glad you have a, a very loving and supporting wife through, you know, your journey and through everything that you've experienced. That makes, that makes me really happy. And I'm, I'm very glad for you. And um, yeah, it definitely to took, know that some, you, took some eye opening. And, uh, and some, some understanding to realize and look back and be retrospective and obviously, and to see that, uh, uh, things could have been different. Things could have been worse for me, but they weren't, but right. things still need to change for our service members who are currently serving. And it just, if we can find a way to make that happen, that'd be great. And that's, again, that's why I spoke to you today is because I, I just, I don't know what help I can provide, but I, I hope in some way, you know, they say, you know, if you, you reach one person. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for um, all of your time this morning. And if you ever want to talk again, just let me know. And um, um, I'm glad that I made that connection with you guys. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, we'll definitely be in touch. Uh, it was, I, I definitely enjoyed talking to you and it, it feels good to get some of that stuff out there and hopefully, uh, right. someone will hear it and it'll make a difference. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, have a good rest of your day. All right. You too. And, uh, uh we'll be in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. All right. You take care. You too.